All right, we're back from Shibuya. As always, yep. it's the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. I'm Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house, sitting inside the Mobile Man Cave, chilling in Shibuya, watching all the people walk around. It's a little cooler now. Yes. And uh, yeah, you know, everything's going great. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful episode, and I'm looking forward to it. And for all you people out there, hook us up with some reviews, some likes, show us some love, and uh, we love you. And you could hear us on any podcast platform, yeah. Stitcher, yeah, uh, for iTunes. the for the reviews, go to iTunes. And there you go. Oh, reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, for f- social media, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're not on Facebook. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So um, we're gonna let our guests. Introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Sarahlyn Campbell, and I'm very glad to be here, guys. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, we are glad to have you here. Awesome. All right, and Sarahlyn, you've been here for a while, right? What, seven, yeah, eight years? Yeah, I've been here since 2012, so yeah, like seven and some change at this point. Okay, and originally, initially, how? why did you come to Japan? What was- uh, you know... I lived in Japan for about three or four months uh, back when I was younger, when I was 23. Um, I just came here for, you know, adventure. I had a situation, a kind of family issue that caused me to need to go back, uh, you know, cut my cut my stay here short, um, significantly shorter. Uh, this actually launches into the into the first uh, into the first story. I might tell. Yes, uh, so ahead. if that's cool, I'll just roll with it. Yeah. It's your Global Japan fam, Daisha, and you are listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast from my favorite corner in the world, Shibuya, Tokyo, Japan. So I was in art school in Memphis, Tennessee, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll do some backstory here in a little bit, but I was in art school in Memphis, Tennessee, and I had never really lived abroad, and I had this feeling that I knew the older that I got, the less likely I'd be to make that leap, because you know you have to leave, you have to cut off your entire network, you have to, to leave everything behind, you have no support, no connections, it's, it can be very scary to make a sudden international move. So I knew that I wanted to do it before I got too old to do so, and uh, too comfortable, uh, so... I, uh, at the time, as I said, I was in art school and I spoke Spanish. So I thought the, the logical next move for me would be Barcelona, which is a city that where they speak Spanish and we're Castellano, but still, and is known for their art scene. And I ended up meeting someone that I could not imagine leaving. And I would poke this person, you know, every few weeks, like, hey, let's move to Barcelona. And no, hey, let's move to Berlin. No, hey, let's move to Tokyo. No. Hey, or, what? Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so we saved up, sold everything we owned, and bought a one-way ticket. That's how I came to Japan. I had no job lined up, no visa, no house. I had, like, I don't know, a week's worth of Airbnb, uh, in which time I needed to find, procure, and move into an apartment without speaking any Japanese, mind you. Wow. Uh, so, I don't know. I used to think I was brave at the time, but when I look back, I'm like, you're a fool. That that, <laughs> that should have backfired in so many ways. Yeah. It's remarkable that it didn't. But, you know, that's the, that's the great thing about life i think some people are just like willing to take risk and um you know sometimes it doesn't go well and sometimes it does you know i mean you, look you've been here what seven eight years now so yeah we all have to take risk in life right and you just gotta know which ones to take yeah i know? mean if you risk nothing you gain nothing i'm a firm believer in exactly. that so 
Yeah. Yes. But um, I guess I should probably give you like a little bit of like a, I'm going to give you like a basic timeline background so you can understand the like context about all the stories that I tell. Yes. So I was born and raised in northwestern uh, Mississippi or born in Memphis, but uh, raised in northwestern Mississippi in the Delta, about a half hour south of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and I spent, you know, my youth there, went to school there and I lived, I moved to Memphis when I was about 19, which was the closest big city in restaurants uh, from age 15 to age 28, actually, doing various things. But uh, I was doing restaurant work in uh, Memphis and suddenly got a wild hair to go to Japan. Uh, I did, but as I said, I had to come back. Uh, so I was chilling in Memphis again, working in a restaurant and ended up deciding to move to New York to study wine and become a sommelier, uh, which I did end up doing. I was in New York for just shy of four years and uh, did accomplish that task. But, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, people always imagine, oh, find something you're passionate about and do it for a living. And that's, I'm sure, true at some level. But for me, I found that the once I got through the learning stage and I was in the just, you know, operating stage, there was all this profit margins and inventory and all these things that kind of started to steal the romance of wine away from me. Yeah. And I wanted to still like it. So I was like, you know what, let me let me cut this situation out. Let me let me stop doing this for a living and continue to love it. Um, and I moved back to Memphis to go to art school, as one often does after quitting being a sommelier in New York. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was there. And that's when the, you know, the story I told a minute ago kind of comes into play. Uh, I was planning to go to Barcelona, but I wasn't attached to it. Um, and the person that I was dating was feeling Tokyo. So I was like, all right, let's do it. I, I don't feel like I'm finished with Japan anyway. I kind of got cut cut in, uh, cut in uh, short there. So, yeah. Uh, and then I came to Japan. Uh, I've been here since 2012, but I've spent a significant portion of that time uh, abroad for work. Um, still maintaining my residence here. And the only residence I have was here the whole time. I just uh, wasn't in it <laughs> for, okay. for a long time. Gotcha. Um, intermittently. So, how was New York? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm from New York. From yeah. Brooklyn. So I hear. Um, yeah. I I miss New York. Brooklyn will always have a piece of my heart. Um, I miss the vibe. I mean, there's something really special about New York. I mean, everyone, no one denies that, right? But yeah. for me, it was this kind of this kind of like palpable heartbeat to the city. It was one of the few cities that felt truly alive. Uh, New Orleans yes. was, was the other one, which is, uh, I believe right it was Louisiana, on. right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, New Orleans and, and uh, New York just have this, this, this heartbeat to yeah. it. And it's just, you know, very few people that live in New York at any given time are from New York, as you know, like most of the city are transplants. And, you know, it's really difficult to live in New York. It's it takes a lot of effort to live there. You can't just you know mosey on in. You gotta you gotta come in swinging, right? Definitely. And um, you know, I found that because everyone was going there with some dream they're striving to achieve, and everyone has to work so hard to even get to square one, that it was it sort of lent this air of just like inspiration and motivation. Everyone here is trying so hard. So it made me want to try so hard. I've never been so productive in my life as when I live in New York City. Oh wow. Um, plus I was, you know, I was using my bike as my primary transportation. I was, this is probably going to veer into some weird stuff. I was a raw vegan, which means I didn't even eat cooked food. I only ate fruits and vegetables, like in the state they come out of the earth. Um, and I was like, so skinny and like good looking. (laughs) Let's not talk about now. (laughs) What what was your favorite part of, well, I I guess Brooklyn, but like, what was your favorite, another favorite part of New York City? Like area, neighborhood? Like for example, I lived in, um, Several different neighborhoods, but my favorite was Greenpoint in Brooklyn, okay. which is like the very northwestern tip of Brooklyn, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, just across the river. And what I loved about that neighborhood was just its vibrancy and diversity. Like it was a Polish neighborhood originally, and there's still like vestiges of that, vestiges of that, you know, like with Polish bakeries and stuff. But, you know, like I would get off the train and there'd 
you know, be somebody blowing fire in the park at 2 a.m. and you know, <laughs> doing a violin and, you know, just like random. There's a guy playing an accordion on my doorstep. Excuse me, sir. I need to get in my house. You know, like it's just I don't know. There's something I, I know exactly unique mean, yeah. and flavorful about it. It is. Yeah. Um, ironically, I, I, I was learning Polish. Um, what? Yeah, I was learning Polish. I used to work for a hotel in the village. And that's actually a big reason why I'm here, too, in Japan. Um, and I'll uh, keep it short and say that I was working at this hotel, and one of the, well, pretty much most people in the hotel could speak another language. So a lot of the maids at the uh, hotel were Polish, and then, uh, you know, the receptionist, we've had people that could speak Japanese, German, Chinese, African languages. So that that was pretty much what inspired me to learn another language, and I st- I stuck nice. with Japanese, and that was pretty much the, the catalyst. Like, that's why I ended up here. Interesting. Because um, I had no interest in Japan whatsoever. Hmm. So I always say, and I might have said this in a past episode, that if it wasn't for Keiko, uh, the lady Japanese lady who worked there, I wouldn't be here. Interesting. I, and I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have met Buddha. Don't you love how, like, a random thing can somehow turn your life's path into, yes. like, a totally different area? Totally different. I love that. I had no interest in anime, for the record. No interest in Japanese girls. You none guys of can't that. see him because we're on a podcast, but he's totally wearing a Goku t-shirt, so <laughs> don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so that's New York. Um, all right, so tell us what you do here in Japan. Well, currently, that's an interesting and somewhat loaded question. Okay. I just quit uh, my main uh, income stream that's uh, been going on for the last four and a half years. Uh, I was the manager of a Japanese supermodel, actress, singer, et cetera, et cetera, uh, by the name of uh, Rola, which Rola, is how we yes. say it in English and Japanese. It's Rora. Rora, um, yes. Yeah, I've just been her manager for the last several years. And um, I recently quit that uh, amicably, for the record. She and okay. I are still quite good friends. It just uh, our life paths took us down two different roads. Um, and I've recently accepted the CEO position of a Japanese uh, tech startup. So cool. Yeah. So for uh, our listeners who don't know Laura or Rora, whatever, however you want to say it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, okay. So it's it's really interesting that I ended up being her manager because, um, you know, I was interested in Japanese culture and things uh, before I moved. And uh, once I'd been living in Japan for about, I don't know, a year and a half to two years, I started to, like, I realized I didn't, I didn't follow uh, Japanese entertainment at all. I didn't know who any of the stars were, who any of the actors or singers Um except for one, uh, and that was Rola. And the reason that I knew who she was uh, was because I was in Japanese language school when I first arrived uh, for about nine months. And during that time, I was told that I resembled Rola in certain ways, not not physically, but in terms of like gesticulations and mannerisms. And I was like, "What do you? Who's first of all, who's Rola and what are you talking about? And my friends would show me videos. And she's just very expressive and emotive with her face. Like, you know, like you can't really see it's kind of not to good effect on a podcast, but, you know, she'd stick her tongue out like, mm, like yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, just like the kind of faces I make. People said that it reminded them of Rola. And I was like, who is Rola? So people showed me videos and I was like, OK, so now I know a Japanese celebrity and she's kind of interesting. Um, and, it, you know, a couple of years later, I ended up meeting a Japanese celebrity uh, and it happened to be the only one that I actually knew beforehand. I mean, it could have been one of, I don't know, 4000 people. It happened to be the one that I knew. Wow. So that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How did you become a manager? I mean, an American girl coming over here managing a 
Japanese celebrity. How did that come well, about? Well, uh, it's interesting. I started off, um, so the story is kind of crazy. I was, at the time I was teaching English, imagine, um, and I was teaching at Modo Gakuen, uh, the, you know, the cocoon tower in Shinjuku at the Fashion College. And um, I was also doing some, like, just private lessons on the side to fill in the gaps. And um, I was working with this company where they all they did was connect Japanese people who wanted to study English with native people offering a freelance service. So they didn't do anything other than connect us. And then I think, you know, the students would pay them a connection fee or something. Um, but anyway, um, I was asked to give a trial lesson suddenly on a Friday. And I'm the sort of person that wants to plan everything out in advance. I don't want to suddenly be asked to do anything because I'm all like, I plan to go home now. You know, I'm <laughs> one of those people. So anyway, I... Um, I was asked to suddenly do a trial lesson with this girl. And I was like, you know what? Fucking all right. Let's do this. Who knows? Um, and I went and met her. And she, she told me this long spiel about how she was looking for an English teacher for her sister. Because her sister didn't speak much English. But she was speaking to me in a lot of English. And I was like, okay, well, I can help your sister out if that's, you know. And I was like, what kind of, you know, situation? And um, she anyway, she tells me all this stuff. And at the very end, she goes, actually, I'm sorry. I have been not entirely truthful with you and I was like okay what's up and she's like well first I want to ask you some questions she's like how do you how do you feel about sudden international travel and I was like wait what that is nothing okay okay yeah it's great sure let's do it um and you know how do you feel about you know this and she asked me a bunch of strange questions and I was like okay where is this going exactly you've just pulled my leg for like 45 minutes Mm -hmm. where is this leading up to and she's like well we, um, I work for a talent company, and we are looking for someone to teach English to uh, one of our talents, and we're just looking for a very specific sort of person. And I was like, okay, so what kind of person are you looking for? They wanted someone who was living in Japan in the long term, who was fluent in Japanese, but a native speaker of specifically American English, um, somebody who could travel at any moment and had a visa that would allow that, um, which I have one, with no restrictions and things like that, and... Um, you know, that, that she got along with and that had certain connections to the fashion industry. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I guess that's me. And I don't know if literally anyone else fits that description um, that's floating around Tokyo at the time. So I was like, sure, I'll meet your your person. I ended up meeting her and didn't know who it was going in. And uh, when I got there, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, but of course, I didn't want her to feel like, uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm so used to Japanese people, you know, being like, oh, see, oh, you know, they get really gracious around celebrities. And so I was determined to, to not do that. So she was like, hi, I'm Rola. And I was like, I'm sorry, Pola? And she was like, Rola. And I was like, oh, okay, Rola. And I was like, and they told me you worked at Family Mart. Is that what they were saying? And she was like, no. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm a model. And I was like, a model for Family Mart. And she's like, no. And like, she was just kind of freaked out that I wasn't just freaking out over her. Yeah. And inside, I totally was because I was, you know, a huge like, I don't know, I would say a huge fan of hers, but I thought she was cool. In yeah. Person. I thought she was interesting. She's the only one I knew, too. And, uh, yeah, we just, uh, I started being her English teacher uh, and traveling around with her a bit. And um, after a little while, my skill sets were recognized by the company. They were like, oh, she can do photography. She can do this. She can talk to, you know, business people. And they asked me, um, she said she wanted me to be her manager. So I was like, all right, I quit all my other stuff. And I was like, let's do this. Yeah, so Pretty I good pay. Um, you know, it's yeah. uh, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, that's the the sore point. Um, management, talent management, um, as far as I know, in every other country in the world, functions along a similar vein, and that is a percentage vein. Okay. Um, however, the Japanese have their own system. Imagine <laughs> um, the way they like to do things, and that is by salary. So I was paid a salary, and. You know, at first I was like, fine, this is cool. This is, you know, decent salary and, you know, it's guaranteed money and things like that. You know, I, 
It, it, it will, the, the conversation will veer into a place that, I don't know, I feel like we can revisit the, the salary aspect because gotcha. I have opinions that will make more sense after other things are revealed. Oh, so, no worries, no worries, yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, I started working with her that way, and she and I actually took a break about uh, two years ago, um, similar to this thing where we just decided to go our own ways, and then we both found that we missed each other and wanted to work together again, so we reconverged uh, about a year and a couple months ago. And I moved to L.A. I mean, you know, all my stuff's here. My pets are here. All my, you know, but I just moved into her house with her in L.A. Uh, and oh, so her. she had a house in L.A. Yeah, yeah. we bought her a house, um, which was weird. Now, I now know what it's like to buy a house. I bought her a house but with her money. <laughs> OK, gotcha. <laughs> I like, okay. I, trust me. I didn't have the, you know, I'm not going to say how much, but yeah, it, no. Yeah. So she I mean, because I I, I I don't really have any sense of how big she is. I mean, I know she I see her on TV all the time. So um, well, I uh, I have some information that few people have, and people are gonna probably call bullshit on this. People are gonna be shocked, but uh, when I started, when I when I first started really getting serious about doing management for her, I started researching. Um, I knew how much she earned from modeling, and I felt personally that it was so much that I needed to kind of check and see, like, where does she stand in the world stage? Yeah. Like, what are what are other huge models making? I wonder, like, because. You know, if she's earning so much through modeling, maybe that can be a way I can market her to the Western world. Uh, because the, the point was uh, of getting a Western person on her team was to to breach the American market. You know, like uh, the point was to translate her Japanese fame into American fame. Okay. That was the goal. And uh, I was the kind of facilitator for that, or at least attempted facilitator for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, so I looked up how much she made. And this was for the only information I have. So this was during 2017 for the 2016 fiscal year. Um, and I'm not going to say the number, but I will say that Forbes has a list of highest paid models in the world. And for the during 2017, for that 2016 year, I knew I looked at her like in central shoot, like her W2s essentially. Um, and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> she is in between number three and number two on the world stage for Whoa. earnings. And no one knows this because I was not allowed to divulge that information. <laughs> yes. Fuck you, last agency who fired me. Uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's she's she's. You know, known as the advertising queen in Japan. Um, she okay. was the spokesperson for 26 different companies at the same time. Wow. And, you know, that adds up. Yeah, that so, does. That does. She's... Um, and she's uh, biracial, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. She's half... Ba- or her dad's Bangladeshi and her mom is like three quarters Japanese and a quarter Russian. So oh. she's a nice little interesting mix that gives her that exotic uh, yeah. look. And honestly, she looks exotic no matter... She, she's weird because... Well, she's weird for very many reasons, but mm. she's... A speci- like, it's interesting because she looks exotic in any country while also looking like she might belong to any number of countries. Like if you look at her you and I told her she was Indian, you might believe me. If I told yeah. you she was Middle Eastern, you might believe me. If I told you she was Latino or Latina, you it, might believe exactly, me. Exactly, yeah. So uh, that's interesting for someone to look exotic and at home in the <laughs> same country, but she pulls it off. Tell us tell us something uh, cool about her that we most people don't know. Uh, well, um, maybe the, we only see her on TV. Right. You know, the first thing that pops into mind is how much of an activist she is. Uh, a lot of people remember when she first came on TV and she was like 16 or 17 years old. She was a kid and, you know, she was just acting goofy and silly. And, you know, her brand of goofy and silly was so different than the Japanese goofy and silly. It made her unique and, and made a name for herself. Um, so a lot of people's, you know, memory of her is like this thing, you know, where she's like, 
got her doing an okay sign on her cheek, like, okay, like that kind of stuff. And a lot of people just never got past that. But she's uh, she's leveled up significantly. She's uh, she's kind of a fashion icon. She's well known by a lot of the fashion circles all over the planet, a lot of the biggest designers in the world. She's friends with Virgil and like the people from, you know, yeah, just, there's tons of people. Um, and uh, Yoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, the ambush people and all that yeah. stuff. Wait, wait. Shout out to Yoon. I know she'll she's not listening, but uh, yeah, uh, she's uh, a cool person. Yeah, I got a crush on you. For the record, <laughs> you were probably not alone. Um, <laughs> I do love her style. I have to say, yeah. Um, and her brand, Ambush, is pretty cool. Yeah, um, Ambush is dope. I forgot what I was building up to. My memory is just absolute shit these days. What was that? Like, oh yeah. So she, um, she's an activist. She is very firmly um, trying to spread awareness about uh, sustainability, sustainable practice and living, intentional living. Um, she's She has a particular chip on her shoulder about microplastics in the ocean and about animal abuse and abandonment. Okay. So those are the two main causes that she tries to push forward. And um, she's got various things that she's worked. I mean, she's founded, on, in terms of the animal thing, she's founded like uh, or collaborated with some animal shelter where she gives shout outs to animals and they get gets them adopted and things like that. And, um, you know, most of all but one of her animals are adopted, um, which is pretty cool. And um, she also has a scholarship program. Uh, I forget which country, but it's some Southeastern, Southeast Asian country uh, to help kids get tuition money. Yeah, she's she does a lot of good. She spreads a lot of good, and people don't tend to know that about her. And and one thing I will say is everyone thinks she's an in total ditz. Um, yeah, that's the because of her the, character. Yeah, her character. Um, and TV. she's not. She's actually a pretty astute businesswoman. Um, okay. She's seven years younger than me, six and a half years younger than me. But she taught me a lot. Actually, okay. I learned a lot by watching her operate yeah. um, about business and uh, at a high level and things like that. Uh, so, yeah. So, so talk about that a little bit, like the character she plays. I mean, is that something that I don't want to say forced into? But Well, these days, I mean, in the beginning, it was just her goofing off in front of a camera. Um, but these days, like, I mean, you know, it's been a few months since I was uh, at a Japanese TV station with her. But, I mean, the producers are always come in and be like, oh, can you do this thing for us? And then she's like, I'd really rather not. You know, I was 16 when I did that and I'm you know, almost 30 <laughs> now. So and they're like, can you please do it? The fans want to see it. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but uh, she's like, all right. You know, so she she hams it up. And I will say that her personality on stage is not not her it is but it's like the volume's cranked up to 11 gotcha. where she's normally sitting around three or four so it's it's her but it's you know yeah it's yeah. definitely a version of her that's not typical gotcha so yeah wow, wow. yeah but it's been it's been interesting because you know like i was uh you know made some facebook post uh recently to say but like um you know, I've been living her life for the last four and a half years, and it's objectively more interesting than my own will ever be. <laughs> but it's not my life, and that's why I ended up pulling out in the end. Because okay. you know, I was like, you know, if I do this for ten years and then I stop, w what do I have to show for it? You know, like because I also do photography, and if I had done photography for ten years, I'd have a huge client base, I'd have you know works, I'd have a portfolio. But when I quit this job, like, what do I really have? So mm. I was thinking, I really need to work on my own career. And uh, pursue my own interests. So I pulled out of that. And I'm working on this uh, tech company now. Okay. So, And I'd love to talk about that here in a little bit. But we don't have to talk about it right now. So okay. just follow okay. the flow. All right. Cool, cool, cool. And um, you got you have anything? Or you was no, I'm just sitting here chilling. Okay. Man. <laughs> you know, it's just so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, and I, I know we were, like, talking earlier before we started recording. But um, the entertainment industry in Japan. Um, right. Tell us about that. Like, honestly, it's, I, I'm um, pretty sure it's it's rough. 
it can be rough. I'll, I'll put it this way. They, the whole industry um, is pretty much run by those folks. If I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. The Yakuza is heavily involved in the running of the entertainment industry. Yeah. Uh, The number of times that I would go meet some super high up and it was one of those guys. You can't miss it either. It's you'd have to be a fool not to notice. Gotcha. Um, And, you know, I would start to joke to, uh, I guess, strongly with them. And like everyone would shoot me like daggered eyes. Like, don't you be careful? You know, things like that. And I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, and you know, their interests are definitely upheld. They're definitely slicing all the cream off the top. Um, and they, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, the daily stuff is run by whatever CEO or Shacho is, is there. But, you know, if they want to do anything big, major or different than the usual, they, they've got to check with those guys. And there's only like three small companies that don't play by those rules. And as a consequence, they don't do very well. It's uh, kind of like a, you know, a boys club in that way. Like yeah. you don't play by our rules. You don't get, you know. Exactly. So... I had illusions of creating a talent company myself that did not play by those rules and offered fair rates. Um, mm. But uh, that did not materialize the way I expected. So it's fine. And it's ha- how was there... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no, you're fine. As a foreigner, um, any discrimination? <laughs> I, you, I mean, there's, al- there's always discrimination, yeah. but I don't feel like it's industry-based. I feel like it's you know goes down to the individual. Um, okay. You know, I was given, just like in other aspects of being a gaijin in this country, I was given, you know, I was able to play the gaijin card for a lot of things that, you know, in some cases were real for me to not understand. In other cases, I understood perfectly fucked up and pulled the gaijin card anyway, <laughs> as one does. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, things like that. And I have to say, you know, being in the Japanese entertainment industry, there are no foreign people involved in that. Like, there there are none. And, you know, every time I would go into the back of some TV station with Roller, roll up into some meeting with, you know, like Dakotin's Shot Show or something, you know, it would just, people would be like, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, that's my chance to try my favorite joke of, I realize I look Japanese, but I'm actually American. <laughs> you know. So with all the foreigners that they have on Japanese TV, you mean to tell me that there's no like American, I mean, not, I wouldn't say American, but foreign like execs or anything like that behind the scenes? You know, I, I suppose it's technically possible that they exist and I don't know about them, but I would be astounded to find out that that's true because I, you know, in the nearly five years I worked with her, we met a lot of people in this industry. Um, and obviously you never meet everyone, but, uh, I mean, I never once heard it mentioned. I mean, like, you know, there's a couple of foreign people who have made a career as entertainers, but working the backside, you know, the back of the house on the, on the industry, I only ever encountered one other foreigner, uh, which was the, was someone who worked with one. Okay. Rock, uh, the Japanese band. Okay. Um, and he's become a friend of mine. He's a really cool guy. He's also a musician, super, super talented as well. Have you met, uh, Bobby? Bobby. Bobby, what is it, Oregon, the, the African? Oh, Bobby. Bobby, yeah. Yeah, the, they call him Bobby, the Bobby. African, the African is, guy, is the Nigerian. Is he TV or? Yeah. Because yes. I don't watch Japanese TV. Oh. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. You know, and it's weird because, you know, my job was to put someone on Japanese TV all the time, but gotcha. most of the stuff that I put her in, I never even saw later. Even, on, like, I've been on Japanese TV a few times and haven't even seen all of those clips, so. Gotcha. Um, you know, we just. So, so you, you're, you're talking about, like, 
foreigners that like are behind the scenes. So you know, like I, we have the the phrase, you know, I have a restaurant industry, you know, for 13 years. So we say front of the house and back of the house. You know, front of the house is your servers, your hosts, gotcha. you know, that kind of stuff. Bartenders, the back of the house is the cooks. The, you yeah, know, I, you know, we were the back of the house. So gotcha. there's there's plenty of foreign front people house. in the front of the house, so yeah. to speak, um, in the entertainment industry. But I only ever happened to cross the one and heard, and he was as surprised to find me as I was to find him. We were like, well, yo, I'm not the only one, yeah. you know, and yeah. um, I just feel like I would have heard because, you know, how many times we had conversations, you know, uh, surrounding the fact that me being foreign startles people uh, in that industry because they don't expect it. Um, you know, you go into meetings with the you know book publisher or the, you know, the TV people or whatever it happens to be, the magazine people. And, you know, they're just shocked to see me each time. But, um, Yeah. I'm still a little shocked to hear that, you know, when you're telling me that the Yakuza is like heavily involved in things, because when I was a, you know, I used to bounce in a club. Um, I'm not going to mention the club name or anything, but it was a club in Rapungi and uh, it was some Japanese celebrities that, well, always came to the club. And it was the Yakuza boss. He walked in with his, you know, with his entourage and everything. And, you know, he sit down and. I was so surprised to see some of these entertainers, well-known, famous entertainers, damn, they're getting on, the, getting on their knees kissing the ring. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, they were like, and I'm, yep. me and my partner was looking, it's like, what the fuck? You know, it's just like, you know, but they were over there, you know, oh, oh, arigato gozaimasu. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know, but I kind of understood back then, you know, because um, they were heavily involved in a lot of things. Right? right. But, you know, nowadays, since I've heard that, you know, the crackdowns and all this, that and the other. But now, you know, is it maybe are they all right now? Are they operating as mafia guys in the industry or are I they mean, mafia guys? But they are, let's say, under their their uh, let's say not under their money, but let's say. Uh, they're investors or something. That's like how that, you so should think speak. of them. You should think okay. of them as investors, people oh, okay. who would have a say or a stock in something big, but doesn't mess with the day to day. Gotcha. Um, you know, approval for you know massive new projects or branches or things like that. But like you know, they don't they don't mess with stuff on the daily. They just you know threw in their money in the beginning and they sit back and pull in profits. And if there's anything big, they get consulted. You know, it's just like a. But at the same time, you know, you, you don't. I mean, you don't. I guess you shouldn't cross anyone intentionally unless they're a total douchebag. But um, yeah, you you don't cross those guys. I think it goes without saying. Yeah. So you know, another reason why we we brought uh, Saraline on is to talk about a very um, important topic. You want to go ahead and oh right, yeah, add yeah. to that. I am transgender. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was born male, um, and I transitioned um, to female. Actually, I began like you know, my hormone treatment before I left the States, but I didn't socially transition until after I got to Japan. Okay. So like when I arrived in Japan is when my social transition began. And that was, you know, kind of on purpose. Uh, it, things were boiling up in Memphis and I knew I had to make some changes and I knew that it would just be easier on me to have like a fresh break and a fresh start instead of trying to get a lot of people to possibly accept, uh, you know, the very beginning stages of my transition in Memphis, just wait, get there, be who you are from the get go and let people meet you. That way, everyone who met me, everyone who knew me in the country I lived in knew me as the real me, not the, you know, yes, super talented actress me. When did you uh, know that that's what you wanted to do? Like, well, how did that? To about? be honest, um, you know, I grew up 
in the countryside. Okay. Um, Bible I mean, Belt. Like, super Bible Belt, right? And, like, you know, my town was small. Um, I grew up in, you know, Horn Lake, Mississippi, um, and ended up living in Walls when I was in high school, which is, you know, there's, there was the time there was no stoplights or police stations, gravel roads. I mean, it was it was small. No, if there was, exactly what you mean. Right? Like, if there was no internet, I would probably be, like, a farmer's wife or something right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I always knew that my, you know... Gender, there was weirdness surrounding my gender and a lot of discomfort, and I didn't have the vocabulary to discuss it. I didn't have the framework to understand it. And um, I was actually 25 years old the first time I understood that one could make that change. Okay. Now, I mean, you know, the word trans and, you know, pick your poison for the final part of that word. There's, you know, there's many different words that start with trans. Yeah. Um, and every one of those words that starts with trans, where I grew up, that was synonymous with some sort of weird, you know, creepy cross-dressing prostitute, exactly. you know, yeah. and this is not downing sex work at all. This is the, this was the rhetoric surrounding it where I lived, not my own opinions. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I didn't think that that was even an option. I didn't, you know, to be to still be a functioning, you know, respectable member of society as I had intentions of being. Um, and when I was 25, I saw a video, uh, a transition video um, mm-hmm. of someone who started off looking somewhat similar to me and finished off looking very much how I would like to look at the time. And I was like, holy shit, this is a thing that is doable. This is a thing that is possible. And I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, you look way too masculine. This is not going to work. You know, I had I struggled with myself for a long time mm-hmm. about, you know, is this possible for me to do? Or was this person just super lucky with DNA? Like, I don't know. I just knew at the time, like, I wasn't one of those guys that you, like, when I came out, people weren't like, oh, of course. It was like, what? the Seriously? Yeah. Really? You know, like yeah. people were astounded because I had, you know, I was, you know, I was just like a regular cis hetero straight dude. Um, you know, I had, you know, a much deeper, richer voice um, and I didn't have effeminate mannerisms at all. But I had been honestly cross-dressing in my room since I was 16. I mean, okay. like at least regularly. I mean, there were moments before then, but like regularly doing it. I mean, and I was I was playing football too, man. Like I would get off of football practice and I would come home and like go in my room and, you Things. know, cross-dress. Like I would straight <laughs> after football practice, I would take a shower and go and put on a dress Take off or the whatever. pads and yeah. throw on a dress. Just <laughs> right? knock the motherfucker out, <laughs> laid him out on the field. <laughs> <laughs> it's just hard to think of because like yeah. if you look at me now you're like whatever you would get your ass kicked on a football field and if we did it right now that would absolutely be true uh but at the time you know i mean this was if god when i was 17 i was 280 pounds um you know lifting weights every day in football yeah. uh you know so what i also lost a lot played? of weight um well you know i preferred defensive tackle um and nose guard but i ended up doing like offensive right tackle for the most part um i was super slow but i had really nice reaction time like over people over 200 pounds i was the fastest from zero to to 10 yards but after 10 yards like for 100 i was probably one of the last ones so i had good reaction time but i was slow as you know dirt i don't know whatever slow snails turtles (laughs) um all getting right. your taxes back. So um, from 16, you, you said you would cross I mean, that was that was regularly. Like okay. there were isolated, you know, moments well before then. But that was when I got enough courage to okay. accumulate, acquire, whatever, my own, you know, clothes or what have you, makeup, things that would be looked down upon for me to have if it were known. Yeah, I was ready to ask you that. Were you using mom's clothes or... 
Well, I mean, I'm not going to say I never, but I knew early on that it was best to get my own just because, you know, you know, you shouldn't just use other people's stuff yeah. without telling them. It's just, you know. So, but yeah, I'm not going to say I never used her clothes because I totally did, but oh, sorry, mom. Hope mom's not listening. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, okay, okay. And so, I mean, I imagine, you know, the Bible Belt. Um, yeah, so you yeah. said, you know, back to the reaction of people, I don't know, friends, they were like, whoa. Well, yeah, I'll say this because yeah. this was something that surprised me. Like, there's people like, okay, when I know I'm about to drop this bomb on people and, you know, you have an image of people, you imagine that based on people's personality, political views, things things, things that they say, you can imagine how they might react to certain information, right? Like, for example, if my, if my uncle is a staunch Trump supporter and I tell him that a new gun law was pot, just passed, I can expect he's going to be pissed about that, right? Yeah. Like that kind of thing. So the, I, I had ideas about when I told people that I was going to transition and that I was transgender, I had certain people that I expected to be super supportive and I had other people that I expected to be like, yo, what the fuck? You know, and um, to be honest, I was humbled by so many of the people that I expected to be, you know, this is gross, weird, screw you, that were extremely supportive of me. And I was wow. it was absolutely humbling. Uh, and then I had other people that I expected to be cool with it. And they were they, they weren't rude, but they just kind of disappeared out of my life gotcha. very quietly. Mm. And I was really astounded by that. Um you know, so it's you really can't judge a book by its cover, I have to say. Yeah. So the people who were supportive of supportive of you, the ones that surprised the hell out of you, did they tell you, did they react some way like, you know, we kind of knew something was different about you or anything like that? Honestly, it was a shock to everybody, at least through my eyes of their, you know, my interpretation of their reactions. Like no one seemed to have been prepared to, to hear that. You know, I just I wasn't. You know, I had a girlfriend. I had only ever dated women. Um, like I said, I, I have very masculine vibe to me. But, you know, it was acting because it wasn't never me. I just knew what I needed to do to move about the world in a frictionless manner. That's and I and I did that. Um, so, yeah, like. What was what was her reaction? You said you had a girlfriend at the time. What I was did. her reaction? Yeah, she um, bless her heart. She is one of the best human beings I have ever had the pleasure to know. You know, it must have been so hard on her. And at the time, I didn't see such a big deal about it from my end, you know, when I thought about her end. But looking back, and especially now, I imagine, like, if I had a boyfriend and he needed to transition, like, how devastating that would be to me, even to me, right? Yeah. And I'm trans, so... You know, when I look back, I'm like, and she, she stuck it out as long as she could. Um, bless her. She's just, she's an amazing human being. But you know what's interesting is so many things change on your body. I'm not sure how much you guys know about transition. It's not just uh, you take pills, which makes your emotions different and you wear women's clothes. It's not, the, your body physically changes, right? So like, you know, I got hips. I, I My skin got soft. My hair got fluffy. My cheeks got poofy. I grew breasts. Um, I mean, just the, the number of changes, the list is huge. Um, okay. And, you know, it's funny because all of those things she could somehow deal with. And the one thing that would seem to be the straw that broke the camel's back was when my smell changed. Uh, you know, like okay. uh, the kind yes. of... 
like the you know underarm area, like yeah. the smell of a person. Everyone's got their own smell, yeah. right? Some of them are pleasant, some of them are not. Yeah. Are, but when my smell changed, that was the thing that she couldn't she couldn't take it anymore. Um, if memory serves, and I found that to be curious, but I, I totally get it now. Yeah, because um, since I have transitioned and I've been um, with men, I've found that I'm extremely sensitive to the smell of them, and I don't mean like whether they're clean or not. I mean okay. like they're it's like a pheromonal thing. Gotcha. Like even like I've had a situation where I had a guy that was like absolutely seemed like I he was peeled off of the page of my this is my perfect man like list <laughs> and everything about him was amazing mm-hmm. and I absolutely could not do it uh, even he came to Japan and he had never uh, he had never even been out of the country at the time he got his passport to come here to to visit with me and I'd known him online and mm-hmm. he was so perfect in every way but I couldn't get past his smell and he was super he used nice soaps he was very well uh, hygienic mm. and it just I couldn't and it wasn't it wasn't even like stinky. It was mm. it wasn't like objectively it just didn't mesh with me. Gotcha. I just didn't like it and I couldn't go through with it and I felt really bad, but you what, know. what did you uh how uh, did you, how we did hung you out <laughs> uh you know, we still had two weeks after that. So uh okay. we hung out, I we did some sightseeing stuff, we <laughs> still, you know, followed through on our plans mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we went out drinking. I mean, he, he took it kind of hard, but he was also a mature, cool person. So he's like, okay, well, this is far less than ideal, but I'm here. So let's, you know, yeah, let's see what Japan has to offer until I go back. Gotcha. And, now, uh, going back to the changes in your body, that was from the hormones? Right. So, like the pills, or were they injections, or were. Okay, so I've been taking pills orally, um, you know, just like the typical pills. And um, I take two things I take one thing which blocks my testosterone, and I take another thing which gives me estrogen. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting because people don't realize how much of the things that we're attracted to on other humans is entirely based on hormones. Like if it, it's, it's crazy, but if you just took like, um, if you just thank you, okay. if you just took a, you know, a young person that hadn't entered puberty yet and they just had the, the choice of which hormone they're going to take. I mean, I'm not, I'm not abdicating this. I'm just saying if you did yeah. this you would end up with people who look entirely what you imagine is feminine and masculine, regardless of what's between their legs. It is so home in, we, our bodies are so hormonally driven and people don't even realize to what degree like hormones play an effect um, or play a role rather. Um, and it's just interesting because so many things about my body changed. Um, but with each change brought a new level of comfort in my own skin that I had not had previously. Gotcha. I always felt, dysphoric is the right word i think um i just didn't feel right the way my body was and um what was expected of me as a man in society i Mm. it just was entirely it was extremely uncomfortable um and yeah some people can't take it you know some people absolutely can't take it um i guess my willpower and my situation were enough that i was able to but honestly towards the end yeah if i didn't if I didn't change, it it would not have been good. I'll just put it that way. How do you think? Um, how, how do you think it would be if you would have stayed and and be as you are now? Like if I had not transitioned. Well, transitioned, but stayed in Memphis. Oh, transitioned and stayed in Memphis. Oh wow, my life would be so different, okay. so so different. Uh, feel like you couldn't really. I would Walk probably, around comfortably. Or? I mean, it, like, you know, if I had never left, yeah, like, you know, that's different because I go back to Memphis occasionally and okay. I feel entirely comfortable to do so. But so much of the successful aspects of my 
uh, transition came from help that I received in Japan. Honestly, you know, my fashion was absolutely atrocious. And <laughs> I got like, I don't know if any trans girl in the world has ever been as fortunate as I have been. And I mean that, that I was trained in fashion by a supermodel as I was transitioning. Like gotcha. who gets that? Yeah. Who gets yeah, that? Yeah. You know, it's insane when you look back at it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she she micro coached me like it wasn't even something we spoke about and agreed about. But she coached me on, you know, she would say things occasionally like Sarah Lynn. That's like, a, you know, when you eat, hold your hand this way or don't. This looks, you know, mannish or, yeah. that, you know, masculine. And I'd be like, thank you. you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, it's it's not that those sorts of gesticulations and mannerisms are innate. They're not. Those are socially learned. Yes. And I had a certain set of them for 28 years before I started changing. So, you know, old habits can be hard to break. Um, And, you know, in the beginning of your transition, I I think this is almost universal. I I could be wrong. Watch. I'm probably, you know, entirely alienating myself from some people by saying this, but I feel like um, you tend to not want people to know that you're trans. It's like, and there's a word passing, um, which, you know, it's a kind of loaded word. Uh, the rhetoric these days is that we should avoid it when possible because it seems to imply that we are this is a performance or we're trying to manipulate or fool people and it's not. So um, I don't like to use that word, but it does get the point across succinctly. Past just means other people around you identify you with the gender you have in your head. So like okay. if I pass, that means I walked on the street and everyone thinks I'm a woman. Okay. Okay. So that's passing. So I think when you're early on in your transition, your whole goal. Um, is to get to a point where people don't look at you and think, oh, well, that's actually a man. And this is all from the perspective of a male to female. There's an entirely different, I cannot speak for female to male or or intersex or non-binary. I cannot speak for those people. Uh, I've not had that experience. I do subscribe to the gender binary um, of like, you know, socially men and women for myself. I don't think that everyone should be forced to subscribe to it. But I personally do. Okay. So, I mean, you asked me how I identify. I identify as a woman, but the fact is I am a trans woman. I don't identify as a trans woman. That's just what I am. Okay. But I identify as a woman. So, I don't even know. I'm sort of rambling where we... No, no. What I kind mean, of question we had in the beginning. No. Uh, so, basically, if someone was... I mean... When I see you, I, you know, and I hear your voice and everything like that, you know... Look like a woman to me. You sound like a woman to me. <laughs> Thank you. you. You know what that I'm saying? That is the goal. So, so, so um, is it important that, or maybe you already answered the question, but is it important that you inform people or just be proud to say that, hey, I am a woman. The hell with the name trans or, I mean, the hell with the trans part or anything. If you are, you feel and know you're 100% from the inside out, why even use the word trans? Well, typically I don't. Um, as it happens, I'm kind of coming out right now. I have been living what we call stealth for the last uh, since I moved to Japan. And what that means is that you're trans, but you don't tell people that you're trans and you're able to pass in such a way that no one thinks that you're trans. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who's met me in the last seven years did not have an idea that I may or may not be trans. I have no idea what people thought. But what I do know is that no one ever asked me if I was trans. It never came up. I didn't talk about it. And everyone treated me just as a woman regularly. So I like to think that most people um, were not aware that I'm transgender. But I have recently, um, about two months ago, I kind of got this this kind of wild hair in me where I realized I've been living stealth for so long and it's good for me 
uh, because I prefer how people treat me when they don't know that I'm trans. And I'll touch on that in a second. If I forget, remind me. Um, but what was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, what did you say to remind you on? I'm because oh, I, okay. I was kind of. I want you to remind me to tell you why. Oh, son of a. Seriously, this is. Okay, so my memory is really bad. No worries, no worries. You know what I was taught by Deepak Chopra? You ever heard of Deepak Chopra? I've heard of him, yes. Yeah, yeah. What, else, what I was taught by him is that if you forget something, don't. And, and most people's reaction is to fight to, to regain that memory. Right. They say the more you fight, the more you push it away. And I found out that when you just relax and forget about it, it'll come back to you. So it'll come I'll back to you. I'll try to. Yeah, I have a, like I didn't mention, but I have a really, really bad memory. Um, and it's starting to be the, to the point where I'm about to go to the doctor for it because um, I'm forgetting things that are extremely important to me. But that's neither here nor there. Um, it was in terms of uh, we were talking about. OK, so I'll just go ahead and say this. Mm. Um the thing that I wanted you to remind me of, and that's that it's really important um, to be. Oh my gosh, my memory is so bad. <laughs> no I think we were, it is laughable at this yeah, point. Right, right. We, we were touching on the part when I'd asked you about is it important to let people know that oh, you're right, trans? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a few months ago, I kind of realized that me living stealth was a, was kind of selfish. Yeah, do I have the prerogative to do so to make my life personally good? Yeah, I do. But, you know, part of the issue with me is like I, I transitioned when I was 28. And if I had transitioned earlier in life, the effectiveness of the hormones I took would have been exponentially higher. Like I I saw good results for being 28. They say that for every year past 25, uh-huh. um, the efficacy is, is reduced uh, for what you can expect change wise because, okay. you know, your body's kind of set, set at that right, point. Yeah. But if you catch it before it sets, it will actually grow differently. Like, for example, if I started estrogen when I was 15, my hips would have literally grown wider. Okay. They It affects – it's like a, almost instructions for your body to – to end it's like a roadmap for your body's you know you know it throws down a blueprint that you grow into if that makes sense i'm speaking very figuratively but you know it's kind of like an overlay like a blue you know a blueprint that your body ends up being and my body would literally have grown differently if i had been able to start that earlier and i contribute my lack of information to a lack of dialogue socially, a lack of positive role models. So, you know, now we have people like Laverne Cox, uh, Jamie Clayton, these kinds of people. Um, I met Jamie Clayton last month. Um, Yes, it was amazing. I was like, I've got a story for that too. Don't let me forget it. We'll both forget. But anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, so it was... um, you know, we didn't have role models. I had no one to look up to. So I thought to myself, like, you know, I'm not such a badass that people should look up to me. But at the same time, I am someone who is a trans woman who is has been successful in their career and who has gone out and operated in pretty high end circles. Um, you know, I've been frequently working um, just at a pretty high end position. And I want to. I want to show young trans people like, hey, you can be trans and still, you know, lead like a quote unquote normal life Mm -hmm. um, and you can do great things, um, not, you know, in spite of being transgender, but and also not because of it. I'm not not a fan of of, uh, overtly positive messages just for the sake of positivity. There needs to be meat behind that. Um, But just the fact that, hey, I'm trans and I'm doing this and you can, too. Like, I want to show young people like. I don't know. I just I feel like if I had had someone like that to look up to, 
I would have realized I could have done this a lot sooner. And I'm not, I don't want young people to transition that shouldn't be transitioning, but the ones who do need to need to be aware that it's a possibility and that you don't get, like, for example, when I was transitioning, the dialogue was all about like, if you, if you transition, you're going to end up being a sex worker because that's the only option. And for many, many, many years, that was more or less true. Yes. Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing sex work, but I think that should always be a choice. Exactly. I don't think you should be forced into that. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I, I broke through that potential issue, but a lot of my sisters haven't. Yeah. And I don't know. I just want to show people like, hey, there's trans people out there doing high level shit. Yes. So it just sort of legitimizes and normalizes us to, to other types of people. Cause a lot of people have the image like, you know, transgender people are, you know, they're going to do sex work or just work in some weird, like uh, you know, retail shop or something, which there's nothing wrong with doing that. But like, I just want to show people you can be trans and do this kind of stuff too. Cause yeah, yeah no, no limitations. As right. Far as, right. 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 Like don't let that be the thing that stops. Right. You. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't and the let same society's, you know, viewpoint about, what you should be. Right. It's about be. visibility too. Yes. I just want people to see that, hey, there's more of us out here than you realize. You know, yes. I've had people tell me to my face that they've never met a transgender person. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> you know, I've got a bomb for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was actually at this party in LA about two months ago. Uh-huh. And um, this guy was, I was chatting with this guy, this uh, videographer or something. And he was talking to me and he was, I don't know, I forget what the conversation was about, but he was talking about some particular area of town um, in New York. And he was like, you know, it's cool, but there's like all these transgenders running around. And I was like, yeah, man, what are you going to do? They're taking over the world. You know, it's so hard not to just turn around. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, you know, in the same for us too, um, we want to give everybody a platform um and 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 you know you you're our first trans person on the podcast and um i think it shows what we're all about i mean you know me we've mentioned this on a few episodes me 20 years ago i was you know hey you don't homophobic you know you want (laughs) yeah you want to hear something interesting i was misogynistic in my youth See, I mean, you, you know, know, it's like they say the the person like, for example, like those you, you look at those right wing politicians, the ones who are as the most loud anti-gayness are, end up being, you know, caught with man in hotel room. Like exactly. it's time and time again, we we tend to buck the thing about ourselves that we don't want to accept. And at the time, I had no idea that I was transgender, but I do know I tease girls an awful lot, specifically women. And I look back and I'm thinking like what kind of weird like reverse projection was that? Like, <laughs> right. I don't even know. Like, I'd love to be psychoanalyzed. So somebody yeah. shoot me an email and tell me what I was doing. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I used to be, I used to relentlessly tease women like about being women and then look, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, God, what a dork I ended up being. It's life. Yeah, it's you interesting. Yeah, um, it's karmic as hell, you know, because, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm in all types of philosophies that make sense. And, you know, it's kind of funny that you brought that up because the law of attraction says that the more you fight something like those politicians are always anti this, no gay this, no they. And then you find out, like you said, behind caught. the scenes, yeah. you know, like this one guy, he was a staunch conservative totally against anything gay or whatever mm. and come to find out he was famous for you know giving messages messages to men like a foot cap or something in the men's room yep. and it was a no you know so it's like you know 
yeah, I was homophobic in one one time, and what what actually opened my eyes was when I joined Buddhism. I was like, hey man, how do you people feel about gay people? And they were like, they're human beings, they're cool. So what, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know. So and then when I I bounced at a nightclub, you know, on top of that. I bounced at a nightclub, and every third Sunday, the same nightclub in Rapungi, the gays and lesbians would uh, would uh, rent the club, right? You know, we closed at 5, and we stuck around till 5.30 to make sure people got out safely and everything. And you know how Rapungi is. Clubs don't close until like 2 in the afternoon or something, right? right? And so we're in Rapungi. And so this one brother started noticing that I was kind of uncomfortable around gay people, which I was. You know, it was like, and the brother walked over over to me now if you ever follow football this dude was jacked looked like you know i mean i ain't gonna mention the brother's name you know i want to get his name associated with it all right fuck it this dude was like built like ray lewis he walked over <laughs> to me had this big ass nipple ring in his you know through his running through his nipple and he said excuse me bro i notice you a little a little bit uncomfortable around us we know our kind. We know our energy. And everything going to be all right. Don't worry about it. And it's like, no, nah, man, I, w- I wasn't co- uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, he was. Stop pretending. You know, this big no-neck dude about six four. you know, look, I was like, you know. Yeah. And then after that, you know, I started having conversations and this, that, and the other. And, you know, come yeah. to find out people are people. Yeah. It's true. And, you know, yeah. I just want to make sure I understand the moral of that story. So what you're what you're getting at there is that you're thinking about getting nipple rings too, right? I just want to make sure that's clear. Uh, well, you know, my age is <laughs> midlife crisis. I'm damn near 60. Uh, yeah. Like we say down south, I'm pretty near close to it. Right. Now, but, but, yeah, he walked over to me and he had this, this big-ass nipple ring. I'm like, <laughs> and he started... You know, you expect this heavy voice, right, coming right. from this yoke neck dude, man. He was like, and so, but yeah, yeah, no doubt. I just realized, and the more I realize it, and you know, listen to law of traction of attractions philosophy about the more you fight against something, the more of it you'll get, right? And I just keep saying to myself, you know what? You can't stop good energy. You can't stop love. You can't stop two people who want to marry each other and and just stop it because I'd rather see two people happy together, whether they're gay or whatever, than two motherfuckers shooting up a school or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Which another one just happened, by the way, not a school, but uh, another building. But But, uh, uh, anyway, one thing I want to, you know, because I had forgotten earlier, is that you think you're transitioning it's easier here in Japan. And, you know, you wouldn't, I mean, maybe more safer. and In you, some ways. More... Absolutely. Mm. In some ways. So it's infinitely more safe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's definitely safer, right? Because, um, you know, in the States, okay, so when, okay, so for female to male, it's, they have their own sets of issues that is different in most cases. Not all. We have a little bit of overlap. But, um, and again, I can't speak truthfully for their experience, but I do know that, if they have just begun transition and people still perceive them as female that's dressing as a guy, they don't think too much about it, right? Like, okay, so she's just kind of a butch girl or like she's kind of a tomboy is the worst that I feel they're going to get sometimes. Now, watch, I'm probably going to get a lot of angry calls from FTMs that are like, that's not, but <laughs> I don't know. I, this is just what I imagine how I've perceived seeing people out in the street. But for when you go from male to female, people get inherently uncomfortable with that. They get uh, sometimes militantly uncomfortable about that. 
And, you know, I didn't start transition socially until I came to Japan, but I did go out when I lived in Memphis um, on the weekends dressed as a woman. And, um, you know, I've had some incredibly unkind comments thrown my way. Okay. Um, at that time, because, you know, it was, it was quite obvious, yeah. you know, like there's no mistaking, oh, this person is definitely male physically, right? Mm-hmm. So wearing the attire that I wore and styling myself the way that I did was, um, it made people angry, it made people uncomfortable, it made people uh, be mean to me. And um, I encountered none of that in Japan. Absolutely not. Um, in fact, in seven and a half years, I've probably had three negative words said to me under their breath from afar. But okay. you get really sensitive to that and you start to notice when people are looking at you a certain way. Was it like on a train or something? Some Once I was on a train um, and twice was just walking around. Because like, like whenever I pass people on the street, okay, so for people who can't see me, um, I'm 5'11", 181 centimeters. I'm pretty tall um, just in general. But f- I mean, I'm kind of kind of tall in america but in japan i have titan status you know yeah, i'm like a giant yeah. <laughs> exactly. um and i'm fond of height enhancing shoes um <laughs> yeah. i love them and so like i'll frequently top you know over six feet in my shoes and um you know i'll, I'll pass people and i get a lot of non-trans related things people like uh, you know it's usually japanese men will say like under their breath like Suge, or like Deka. Or like, yeah, yeah. and I have <laughs> yeah. I have my own responses for when I hear this. At first, it used, it used to just get me down, uh-huh. but now, like, I will say, like, if they say, like, uh, okay, I'll say like chibi, you know, like, <laughs> you know, shorty, yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, if they say like, uh, you know, or if they say dekai, I say that. And if they say like suge, I'll be like sugokunai. I don't know <laughs> if they think that I'm saying they said I'm awesome and I said they're not awesome yeah. or if he's saying awesome I'm saying it's not awesome I don't yeah. know what they imagine or how yeah. it's interpreted but um, you know I got three little comments that were trans oriented like that in seven and a half years okay so I mean there was probably a day where when I first transitioned before I dealt with my facial hair it might have been visible you okay. know or you know just you can just tell in other ways yeah. sometimes so but yeah I mean it was much safer um, it is a lot harder for me to get a hold of hormones um, at reasonable rates. Uh, I have to pay significantly more to get them through the Japanese system. Um, you know, I was paying about $65 a month in the U.S. with no insurance. And um, in Japan, it's like $400 a month. So it's not feasible for me to get it through the Japanese system. So I have to import them uh, from Singapore. So how, how does that work with the hormones? You have to like keep... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I have to uh, once a day I take estrogen and twice a day I take uh, spironolactone, uh, which is an anti-androgen. And it just kind of dampens because like so if you're like a female going to male, Mm -hmm. you can just take testosterone. Testosterone is a hell of a drug, man. It is. It is some heady shit. So like if you take testosterone, it will overpower your estrogen and you know, manify you. Um, But for me, like testosterone in my body is so strong that I have to like knock it down and then throw estrogen on top and then it eats half of that you know so i have to take i have to kick it down and give myself estrogen of which it eats part of so like it's it's a struggle my body is constantly trying to break free uh and i'm like uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh nope so 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 you're not so you're still like transitioning i guess is that that um, the right word to say you never go off of that medication okay um because if i were to stop the changes that have been made to my body will in some cases reverse completely and in some cases partially reverse like for example if i stopped taking estrogen and if i just if i decided you know what i'm gonna be a man again Mm -hmm. um and i you know stopped everything i will always have 
some form of breasts. Like they're not going anywhere. Now they might get like kind of, they might get smaller. They mm-hmm. might get a little loose and not, not as, yeah. I don't know, uh, perky. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they will always be there, but they will get smaller and they'll, and they'll shrink and things like that. And like my skin texture would change some, but it would never be as rough as a man's is, but it would definitely not be as soft as a woman. You know what I mean? Like gotcha. it, it's kind of weird. So you have to always take that stuff. Now, if you have certain surgeries um, that that can make it so that you no longer need to take certain medica- like medications, like some people get an um, orchiectomy or orchiectomy. I am not sure how to say that word. Okay. Uh, but then in that case, they just remove testicles. I don't know why that that's a thing. Uh, some people seem to like it. I don't understand it, but to each their own. Yeah. Um, and if uh, apparently your testicles are what produces testosterone. So if you don't have yeah. that factory, then you no longer have to take the blockers. Gotcha. And you can take less estrogen like that, you know, so it depends. Okay. Um, and I do plan to have um, surgery. bottom surgery. Yeah. And okay. normally, just for the record, with trans people, like I'm willing to talk about this stuff because I'm trying to get this this information out there and to make people understand us. So I'm an exception. But like um, you should never ask a trans person what's going on between their legs. And um, it's 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 considered to be very uh, a huge faux pas. It makes uh, most people uncomfortable because like it's weird. Like I'll meet somebody for the first time. Like I just met you guys. Right. And it's reasonable if I ask you, like, hey, where are you from? What kind of food do you like? But what if I was like, how big is your dick? Yeah. Isn't that, like, extremely strange? People do that to me. Like, they meet me for the first time, and, like, I may mention that I'm trans, like, in the last few months, and people are like, oh, do you have a penis still? Or are you going to get, like, yo, that's... Japanese? No. no. Oh, go, go. Japanese oh. wouldn't ask that anyway. <laughs> but, like, it's yeah. just people... People lose their sense when they start talking to trans people, like because exactly. you would—they would never ask that to anyone else. Exactly. But suddenly, it's okay to ask me about the status of my genitals like, yeah. right after I met you. Exactly. So don't do that to trans people, for yeah. the record. But wow, yeah. Can you imagine? Just like, yeah. hi, nice to meet you. Um, w- you know, w- what how shape is? is your, how big is your dick? Yeah. Well, yeah. last time I checked, uh, it was scraping <laughs> the bottom of the bottom of the urinal. But you know, these Japanese <laughs> urinals ain't that deep anyway. But right. you know, now you know, it was very. In- you made an interesting point because you were you were talking about women who transition to men. That it's, I would you know I would agree that it's easier. Unless people actually knew them personally, because we're used to women wearing men's clothes. Well, right in in this era, unquote, you know, we've become yeah. Like yeah, I mean, even back in the eighties, women wore pants, women wore you sure, know, and, and you had women wearing the ball caps backwards and all this, that, and the other. So yeah, I could see where they would get less flack. Right, it's socially acceptable mm-hmm. to a degree. Um. F- you know, we, you know. I'm sure that, like, you know, in rural areas, it's more looked down upon and oh, things no like doubt. that. And but in big cities, nobody bats an eye if they see right. someone who's physically um, assigned female at birth walking around in what's considered to be men's clothing. Um, the opposite absolutely isn't true. But I don't want to downplay their experience because oh, no I'm doubt. positive no that they have other things and aspects of their transitions that I wouldn't have to worry about. Like, oh, for example, no you know, I've given up my male privilege and I've given up my a lot of people's expectation like for example if if there's going to be like a if I'm out in Rapungi with like three or four friends and like some dude picks a fight like absolutely no one expects me to jump into that fight right but yeah. like for someone who was female who became you know male people might expect him to do that yeah. you know like so like you know there's there's it's it's I don't want to say it's easier or easy it's just it's different but in some ways Going from female to male is easier, and in some ways, probably going to male to female is easier. And, and you know, I don't, I haven't really examined that fully, but I, that must be the case. I'm but positive. I would imagine both, you know, 
inside your, you know, in you know, between your ears and everything, I'm pretty sure it's 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 a difficult transition, you know, mentally to Absolutely. You know, you've been struggling with this. A person's been struggling with this for years and then they're finally ready to do it. So now they have to deal with their own internal struggle for however long. Now they have to deal with the internal struggle and the out external expectations and how people are going to look at you and and all this that and the other because hell it's just rough being human sometimes right. in this world you know yeah, so yeah, yeah tough I could being a it. man and yeah having to i mean you, you know, know hey when i was growing up in the 70s well in the 60s actually uh, to- hey boys don't cry yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Having... No, people, people a lot of times will say, like, a lot of, especially people that are, you know, radical or militant um, on any side of the argument are usually not getting it right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of radical left wing people who think that being a man is uh, just a piece of cakewalk the whole time. And, I happen to know for a fact that that's not true. Um, now, of course, in my case, I was never comfortable with the roles placed on me. So, you know, I'm a bit of an exception, but I do know that, you know, in some ways being a man is way easier than being a woman. Yeah. But in some ways being a woman is easier too, in terms of, you know, what sort of expectations yeah, less are put is expected on you. Of you. I mean, in, in a sense, yeah. Well, I don't yeah, want well, yeah. to phrase it that way, but yeah, that's totally right, but not good phrasing because it's going to piss yeah. some people off. But yeah. You know, you got daddy's a little girl, and then you, you, you look at the son and say, hey, you know, pick up your britches. Right. Suck it well, up. I'll, I'll, say, I'll yeah. say, depending on what it is, less is expected of you, and depending on, you know, right. it could be more in, in, in other areas, you know. So yeah. it's, I'm yeah. just trying to find a way to word it. Yeah, to where it doesn't... I, I probably didn't word it perfectly, but, you know. Honestly, this is Same, all stumbling advice, in the dark. Vice versa as well. So. For, for me too. Like, you, well, know. you know, in this case, one size doesn't fit all. You know? It doesn't. It's, it's just, yeah. Don't know. tell the Japanese government that. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, so um, you, you got some passion projects that you want to talk about, right? <laughs> I did mention that I was working on some, but not Ooh. the sort of things. I mean, like, I'll tell you about it because, okay, like, well, I'm an open book. But um, it's just, like, nerd stuff, to be honest. I'm, I'm starting a and d group, uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I'm making mods for Skyrim just Whoa, because that I like to still do that. exist, Dungeons & Dragons? You ask, does it? Do you Get know what? Let me tell you something. Because I remember back in the 80s, early 80s, guys was playing that on the ship. Okay, so Religiously. you're going to be shocked to hear this, but it has seen a massive resurgence in the last five Whoa. to six years. Like, the numbers are higher now than they have ever been. Uh. Um, and people, it, it's become a social trend. And, um, you know, I played it when I was, in, when I was young. I was introduced to uh, my friend uh, Jared and his brother. Uh, Chris introduced me. Uh, they lived on my street, um, and I used to just crash their house. We'd wake up and play D&D and computer games and stuff. And um, they, uh, anyway, long story short, it has seen a huge resurgence and um i got back into playing uh i don't know a year or two ago um and just playing sporadically now my job didn't really afford me the time to do it so it was mostly just wishing and talking to groups about maybe joining but um i was able to start you know as soon as i quit my other job i started playing D again and um i've decided that playing over the internet with my friends in america mm-hmm. is no longer cutting it so i'm gonna try being a dungeon master and running my own group here in tokyo because there's, really? there's there's only like th- i don't know three english language groups advertising on the internet about playing D and but there's like i don't know 50 people on the waiting list i'm like yo i'm not gonna wait i'm i'm gonna have to learn how to be a dungeon master and i'm just gonna run this group so all you yeah. need is one celebrity one japanese celebrity <laughs> and yeah. boom everybody will be doing it then you know <laughs> yeah. you know how they follow totally. the leader over here you know yeah yeah i'll just throw it up on roll's instagram we'll see what happens so um, so going forward you i know you mentioned earlier that 
have a management position at a tech company. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, I just accepted the CEO position actually. Okay. Um, now it's 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 largely um, what's the word I'm searching for uh, ornamental. Okay. Um, until we get investment. Okay. Um, but I I worked for the same company last year when I was taking my break from Rolla, and I did some evangelism for them. Um, not. Uh, not religious evangelism, yeah. tech evangelism. You know, I went around uh, to a bunch of different cities in Europe and Asia, in the Middle East, and I gave speeches about our project uh, to try to get awareness raised um, and to hopefully rope an investment. And um, I've actually decided to start working with them again. Um, I, I was always, you know, there, uh, just not hands-on. I would offer advice, tips, kind of consulting things. But I'm going to step into a more um, prominent role now. Okay. Because the the CEO, it's his the, the old CEO. It was his vision, and it's not my vision. It's his vision. Um, a pretty cool project called VRS is okay. how it's said, but it's VRES is, are the letters. It's for VR, virtual reality, yeah, virtual reality and yeah. esports. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Esports is like professional online gaming, competitive. Okay. okay. Um, Huge in the states, right? And um, then also, uh, do you know anything about cryptocurrency or yes. blockchain? Yep. Yeah. So we're using it. blockchain technology to create a platform which will be the esports hub for when VR becomes the norm. Oh. So yeah, we're a little bit jumping the gun, but if we wait until the situation starts, then we lose the market share, right? Like we're doing it now so that when it appears, we're already on the scene. Gotcha. And we have some uh, a little bit, a few years of development as well. Um, but yeah, vres.io is our uh, is our website, um, nice. and I'll we're check a crypto project. Um, if you if you Google VRS and my name on YouTube, you can see a couple speeches I gave in Germany and um, stuff last year. Uh, just get a little explanation of it. So, cool, yeah, Doing some dope stuff. I've had a I've had an incredibly interesting life, um, yeah. and I'm sure everyone thinks that to a degree, and they should because you know everyone's life is valid and cool. Um, I just I've been extremely fortunate in my life. Um, not not the first twenty five years. Um, mm. I mean I I got I did well on the what is it the lotto for having good parents. Uh, my parents I mean, we were poor growing up, but they uh, they loved me and I w- I did not I was not unaware of that you know. Um, and they're good people. Um, huge hearts, very good people. I'm super lucky uh, that the the dice fell on that one for me. But um. I've just been so fortunate because, you know, I once I started working with Rola, she she came into my life like a tornado. You know, I was I was scraping by, um, you know, doing English stuff, you mm. know, in my little tiny apartment eating cabbage and rice every night. And she <laughs> swoops me up and we're eating it. You know, we're staying at the Ritz-Carlton in Paris, uh, you know, eating at some famous chef's place. And then wow. we're flying first class to Peru for a vacation for two. You know, like it's just it has been insane. I'm, I'm glad you brought her back up because I was going to ask you, like you said, you Going back to the beginning of the episode, you said that they asked you, are you fine with traveling, you know, doing international travels? Oh, my goodness. So you've been everywhere Let me tell you something. I have visited over 30 countries with Rolla. Um, You know, a lot of repeat places that are fashion-oriented and things. Mm. But, you know, this this year, Mm. earlier this year in January... Um, we went to seven different countries in January alone, and that is wow. not out of the norm. Um, I mean, we just, I lived on an airplane. I lived out of a suitcase uh, for over a year of my life at a time. I, you know, it's, I put it this way. I, when I was a kid, my dream job was to be able to travel internationally and to see the world. And boy, did I get that. Yeah. Way more than I ever expected. Um, and because, you know, too, like, 
we would sometimes go to a place to do an event. And so we would have to do that event, right? But then like all of the other hours that were there, which might even be three or four days, is just free time with a you know millionaire that's well connected to the entertainment celebrities of any given country. So uh, even the, the famous people I've met, it would blow your mind. Um, it blows my mind on the daily. We get it. You're a big deal now. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Super yeah, yeah. huge big deal. You've rubbed shoulders, shook hands, shared all this energy with all these... Super rich, so I, that means you're going to have a shitload of zeros <laughs> behind I have her, got her. to reiterate that I did not do any of these situations or experience these situations because I'm cool. <laughs> I was with someone who was cool, and I just got to experience it also. <laughs> I've got to firmly say that. Yeah, but at um, the same time, you was she's, she's very be, important she's to being, that person. She's being modest. Yeah, <laughs> I know. She's but at modest. the same time, that person brought you with them for a reason <laughs> because you were I special to them. <laughs> But yeah, we oh my gosh, we had wow. fun. This is this yeah, has this been, is awesome. This has been this, this is this has been a first. Honest, I, I feel like I could talk like four more hours. Really? I feel, yeah, no, it doesn't. You got to come back though, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, like there's so much more to say. Two, yeah, yeah, you got to um, come no back. No doubt. I mean, it's it's been, and, and and also we've we've learned a lot. Yes, by being uh, oh, in your wow. presence. Thank I'm you. Very yeah, happy no, to hear no, that. no doubt because I've never had a conversation so to speak well not i've never had a conversation with a trans person just like a sit before. down yeah. yeah just like a sit maybe i was hey how you doing hey how you doing and that was it but now just to sit here and to share your energy and to you know to hear, to your, hear story. your story you yeah. know we, i mean yeah we, we could have talked about uh the lgbt community in general but we bring people in here to tell their story so yeah um, yeah no doubt i mean well, thank you so much and you're the I'm, first yeah. i'm incredibly humbled to have been the first yes. and uh yeah. thank you for listening to me blather on about stupid oh, shit for an hour or two or whatever it is yeah yeah it was yeah. fun um, yeah, it was great. And uh And you'll be back. I hope so. This yeah. is a cool by the way, you guys can't see the location we're in. This van is the coolest van in Japan. Exactly. I have no qualms about saying Thank that. Thank you. Um hey, even we, right hey, on down to the Saints. We've just been validated by That's somebody right. who's a big <laughs> she's deal. A, she's a southern girl, so you know, <laughs> she even up. mentioned the oh Saints. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So are ridiculous. So yes, thank you, Sarahlyn. Thank yeah, you Sarah so much. Any, anything yeah. else you want to say? Great. Um, check out my, uh, my my tech company's website, vres.io. And if anybody's interested in doing some social media, if you follow me, I'll follow you back. Um, Sarahlyn Campbell, all one word. That's my Instagram. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening, cool. guys. She's gonna yeah. be a dungeon master. So that's right. Yes. That's the defining aspect of my career. Like, screw all that other stuff. I'm going to be a dungeon master, bitches. Oh, no shit. Yes. And uh, <laughs> before we got here, shout out to our friends. Uh, yeah. You got Ivan friends? And, and Rumi. Oh, sorry. Oh, right on. Sorry. Ivan, Rumi. Oh, yeah. yeah, no doubt. Shout out to them. Yes. Ivan and Rumi are my support network, my family. The homies. My go-to homies. Yeah, we yeah. got to hang out. I know they just came back from Australia, right? They did. They just got back from Melbourne. Yeah. They were there for a couple Ivan, weeks. Ivan, holla at me, man. <laughs> yeah. You Shout heard out it straight from the source. I'm, I'm ready to come back over there. Koenji part two. Yeah, come over to Koenji. Have yeah. some dinner with us. Yeah, you guys we'll YouTube go. it. I always get comments whenever I do anything public um, about saying I'm from Mississippi and everyone's like, you don't sound like you're from Mississippi. I just wanted to say that I used to have an extremely thick Southern accent. Ah. Um, I actively worked to make it a non-regional dialect. But yeah, like it was That's... it was strong. Yeah, I'd be like, turn light on. Like it was Turn light on. <laughs> Turn a light on. Get on here. Fixing those story on anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Won't now. I All bet right. you when you get around southern folks, it'll come out, though. Uh, little by little, it does. Mm-hmm. When I'm yeah back in Mississippi, when I come back, uh, Rumi and Ivan are always teasing me. Like, uh, 
All right, now we're about to get out of here now. This is Go the on now. This That's is right. the Raw Urban Mobile podcast. Y'all have Raw a good one now. Urban Mobile. Y'all come back in here. Peace, bitches. Thank you for listening to the Raw Urban Mobile podcast. For more episodes, please visit rump.podbean.com. Or you can head straight to Google and type in Raw Urban Mobile podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can stream or download podcasts.